Good morning, Redeemer. Will you remain standing and hear the word of the Lord from Luke 1, 5 through 25? In the days of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah of the division of Abijah. And he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. But they had no child, because Elizabeth was barren, and both were advanced in years. Now while he was serving as priest before God when his division was on duty, according to the custom of the priesthood, he was chosen by a lot to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And the whole multitude of the people were praying outside at the hour of incense. And there appeared to him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And Zechariah was troubled when he saw him, and fear fell upon him. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John. And you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great before the Lord. And he must not drink wine or strong drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. And he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah, to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children, and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just, to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. And Zechariah said to the angel, How shall I know this? For I am an old man, and my wife is advanced in years. And the angel answered him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God, and I was sent to speak to you and to bring you this good news. And behold, you will be silent and unable to speak until the day that these things take place, because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their time. And the people were waiting for Zechariah, and they were wondering at his delay in the temple. And when he came out, he was unable to speak to them, and they realized that he had seen a vision in the temple. And he kept making signs to them and remained mute. And when his time of service was ended, he went to his home. After these days, his wife Elizabeth conceived, and for four months she kept herself hidden, saying, Thus the Lord has done for me in the days when he looked on me to take away my reproach among people. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning on this rainy winter morning. How does it go from 100 degrees to winter in like two days? No idea. Um, today is the fourth anniversary of Redeemer Church. We're here. We're still here. Are we still here? I think, I think we're still here. For the most part, we're still here. Um, my hair's not all here. Uh, um, we're, we're thankful for what God has done over these four years. We're, we've grown. We've changed. Uh, it's church. People come and go. Things, seasons come and go, but we're still on the same trajectory of seeing lives shaped by God's story. Um, one day at a time, trusting in the faithfulness of God. Um, I want to apologize to Bruce. That was my fault with the slides just then. 
This is my rogue pointer. So the scripture reading snafu, don't, don't riot and attack Bruce. That was me. You're welcome. <laughs> credit what credit is due, right? Let's pray and then we'll get into this t- story. Oh God, because without you we are not able to please you, mercifully grant that your Holy Spirit may in all things direct and rule our hearts. Through Jesus Christ our Lord, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. So I have a, a deep love of the mountains. Um, I like being at altitude, being on top of a mountain, seeing distance. A couple weeks ago, I was out at Black Balsam Knob. It's on the Blue Ridge Parkway. It's about just a, I don't know, not even a mile hike to get to a 6,000 plus peak where you can see a 360 view. And it's just, and it it draws people from everywhere. And there's history of humanity loves high places, right? You see this all throughout the Bible. You see this all throughout cultures. There's something about being on top of a mountain. And certainly for me personally, uh, that's, that's almost, dare I use the word, mystical. I was on Linville Gorge. I don't know if you know where this is, up by Morganton. You can do a little two-mile hike, basically, and there's a little spot, rock outcropping, and you can see the whole length of the gorge. I was up there with a friend, and we made a little fire, and we, we found some, like, pine logs that were kind of fresh, and so when they, were, they burned and they kind of were smoldering, and there was that smell of pine, and you're like, this is why people go to high places and burn incense, because there's something about it that makes you feel closer to the divine. And this is a common human experience. Even for those who deny God's presence, I think there's still senses of transcendence that we get on top of mountains or looking at stars or things like this. Um, I've quoted this author before. Abraham Heschel says this, Just as man lives in the realm of nature and is subject to its laws— so does he find himself in the holy dimension, this divine transcendence. He can escape its bounds as little as he can take leave of nature. He can never sever himself from the dimension of the holy, not by sin or stupidity, not by apostasy or ignorance. There is no escape from God. And that's what the story of Luke is about. And Luke He starts with the story of Zechariah. I spent some good time with Zechariah this week. And he begins by telling a story of divine encounter. It's a clear and obvious divine encounter like many of us will probably never have, right? This angel standing before Zechariah's face and talking to him. And we saw last week that Luke's goal in telling his story is that we might become fully aware of the reality of the presence of God among us. And Luke wastes no time (laughs) jumping in to talk about this. And yet, from the very first moment, there's indications of a struggle. A struggle to know, a struggle to realize, a struggle to recognize, to accept, to believe in this presence. And for us, this leads, this struggle is real. 
for us as human beings in the here and now. And it can lead to this ap apathy or pretense or emptiness or confusion about the presence of God, the presence of the divine. We can go on the mountain and you can feel a sense that there's something more, but what is the presence of God? Where is the presence of God? How do we relate to him? And it, at least for me, and I'm a pastor, I'm supposed to know about this stuff, right? The, the presence of God is a struggle to understand. I can go through whole days without any real recognition or realization of the presence of God in my life. I don't know if you can relate to that. That the spiritual realm is, often seems distant and fuzzy and hard to grasp. Dallas Willard, I've quoted from him before, he talks about engaging with God and believing in God, interacting with God. And he says there's four ways to interact with God that Christians seek to interact with God. And I thought this might be helpful to start with, give some categories for this. He says the first way of relating to God and God's presence is simply by blind faith. Basically, believing that because God says he's here, that he is just rational, like willing yourself to believe that God is somehow here, even though you can't see or know or experience it. So I, I came across this a lot in Reformed circles. We just, we're supposed to believe that God is here, and so we do, period. That's, that's the end of the story. That the only way he is present in our lives is through conviction, almost a mere sheer will that it will be so, that God is here. That's the first one, blind faith. Then he says there's a second form is like feeling or sensing that's being on top of a mountain. That's sometimes what happens when we come into worship and we sense together. It happens communally sometimes, this sense that something's going on here, that there's some presence, there's some power, there's some person that's here. Willard calls it an imprecise but very powerful sense of the presence of God. <laughs> the third way is God in action. Different people have come across God in action. You see miracles, things that you can't explain in any other way besides that there must be a God. There must be some power or supernatural ability going on. Blind faith, feeling God, God in action. Dallas Willard says these are all important, but none of them are complete. None of them, none of them are holistic enough to understand what it means to engage with the presence of God. He says the fourth way is a conversational relationship where we are engaging in an intentional way, back and forth with God, where God speaks to us and we speak to him. And it's my experience that this is a very elusive thing, that many Christians who believe in God, who want to speak to him, who want to hear his voice, who want to engage with him in his presence, do not report this way of interacting with God on a regular basis. And yet, the more I progress in my understanding of scripture and of God and of the way of Jesus, I'm convinced that it can and should and must work this way, that this is what we're seeking. We have to get beyond the like where's Waldo-ness of God, right? You just put up your like your day of life and you're like trying to find where he must be or some sort of like robot obedience, God is here so I obey him kind of thing to this understanding of a dynamic personal presence. Why do I say all this? It's because in this story of Zachariah's encounter with this angel in the temple, I think the, Luke is drawing our attention to some of the failure points of our engagement with God's presence. Some of the ways and the reasons why we mistake, why we miss him, 
And if I could summarize it, I would say this, that we often have, we, we get tunnel vision. We, we have specific ways of, of living, of thinking, of interacting, of communicating, where, where we kind of, we're not 100% sure where God is because we're very locked into one specific way. We're a little closed off to the various ways in which God engages with the world. And so today, what I want to invite us to do is expand our horizons a little bit to come to God's word and to his presence with an openness to perceive him. And so from this story, this little story of Zechariah, I want to give you five uh, ways in which God's presence transcends our sort of ton of vision, our narrow kind of expectations of what God is or what he might do. They're going to be kind of quick. All of these could be their own sermon probably, but walk through them fairly quickly and hope at least one or two of them resonate with you in your own journey of trying to engage with, understand, relate to God. So let's start at the beginning of this story. In the days of King Herod of Judea, there was a priest of Abijah's division named Zechariah. His wife was from the daughters of Aaron. Her name was Elizabeth. Both were righteous in God's sight, living without blame according to all the commands and requirements of the Lord, but they had no children because Elizabeth could not conceive, and both of them were well along in years. When his division was on duty and he was serving as priest before God, it happened that he was chosen by lot, according to the custom of the priesthood, to enter the sanctuary, the temple, the holy place, and to burn incense. Incense again. At the hour of incense, the whole assembly of the people was praying outside. This is high praise for Zachariah and Elizabeth. Right? They're blameless they're pure. They live by all the commandments and requirements of God. These are respectable Christian types, Jewish types, okay? respectable people following God. And Zechariah is a priest, right? He should know about the things of God. He's practiced this. This is not his first rodeo. He's going to the temple. Occasionally he goes in and practices these things. Um, and this is what happens when he goes in, right? We heard it before, but here it is again. An angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing to the right of the altar of incense. And when Zechariah saw him, he was terrified and overcome with fear. What strikes me is so interesting in this moment is that Zechariah is a priest. He goes into the holy of holies, or he goes into the holy place to meet with the presence of God. It's the place that Jews identified as where God's presence was. He goes in there, and he is shocked to find the presence of God. Right? He, it feels very unexpected that he would go in and he is surprised, it seems. He's overcome. He's terrified. It's like he's done this before and he's never actually met God. He's been doing his religious duty. He's, he's blameless. He follows all the commandments of God. And yet, when he meets God, he's surprised. And this isn't even God. This is the angel of God. But he has this divine encounter and he, I think, in reading this, he is so sort of just accustomed to the practice of his own faith, that he misses the presence of God among it. I don't know if that rings true with you. It's like you're, sometimes you're like looking for someone or something so hard that like when they walk right by, you miss them. And I think that's part of what's going on here. He's so used to practicing his religion that he misses God right in front of him. There's an irony in this. And this is the first thing I want you to see, is that God's presence transcends our religious practice. Transcends our religious practice. 
right? Our religious practices, our habits, our rhythms, our liturgies are important. If you've been here for more than five minutes, you know that we think that. But God is not contained or controlled by these practices. He transcends them. And for us, I really believe that there's a danger in our religious practices becoming rote habits. We show up, we, we sing, we pray, we come to the Lord's table, we have our own Bible study, we have our own prayer time, we do these religious things, and we come to these things and we're seeking information, or we're seeking enlightenment or inspiration, or we're seeking a feeling of God's presence. But I wonder if we're actually seeking to meet the presence of God, and what would happen if we did. There's something about this story that confronts us with the reality that it's possible to, to be blameless and upright and follow all the commands of God and yet still be surprised by God when he shows up. So the question for you in this first point is, what do you expect when you practice faith? Do you expect to meet with God? Do you expect to interact with him? Do you expect him to speak to you? Do you expect to know and understand a person on the other end of the interaction, or do you just expect to show up and do the things you're supposed to do? I think this is one reason why we miss the presence of God, because we're not expecting very much. <laughs> we get lulled into rote habits of faith, and we don't expect that God is there, or that he will respond to us. So the first way that God transcends our tunnel vision is our religious practices become tunnel vision. Here's the second one. This is verse 8. When Zechariah's division was on duty and he was serving as priest before God, it happened that he was chosen by lot, according to the custom of the priesthood, to enter the sanctuary of the Lord and burn incense. Okay, we read the Old Testament, the temple, like I said, this is where God lived. Okay, the, the Jewish people, it's kind of interesting. They could be like, hey, you see that building over there? That's where God lives. It's kind of crazy. We don't get to say that. We like say God lives in here, and people are like, what does that mean? But like the Jewish people are like, right over there, there's a building. God lives inside. You can go and meet him, right? So Zechariah goes over to the temple, and he is chosen. And this is what one commentator says about this moment. The offering of incense then would bring Zechariah as close to the presence of God as any person other than the high priest might ever come. Many priests might never experience this honor, and it was forever out of the reach of non-priests. So you see, this is a very special moment for him to go into this sacred place where God dwells. And then he has this interchange. The angel shows up. The angel says, you're going to have a baby. He's like, but I'm old. And then this is what the angel says. The angel answered him, I am Gabriel, who stands in the presence of God, and I was sent to speak to you and tell you this good news. I can hear Zechariah thinking, but I thought I was coming into the presence of God. I, I thought it was right. I thought God was right here. And the angel's like, no, I was sent from the presence of God to give you this good news. And I think the message in this to Zechariah is that God's presence far transcends the spatial limitations of our physical world. God transcends our physical limitations. He transcends our religious practice, but he also transcends our physical limitations. And I think for us, this is way harder to comprehend than for Zechariah. Zechariah lived in a world where people thought about and talked about going in to meet the presence of God. We live in a world of science. We live in a world where we're trapped. 
where we don't think that God has very much to do with the things happening in the world, that we can reduce everything that happens to sort of cause and effect. There's one author says, you will not find any laboratory manual, any statistical analysis of social processes, even in a Christian school or college, that introduces God as a factor in the calculations. Like you go into to algebra class and they're like, five plus X plus God equals, you're like, what? No, we don't, we, don't t- we don't engage with God as a factor in what's going on in the world. And in many ways in our minds, he's been sort of relegated to out there. And I think when I read these books to my kids, there's a little book we have, and I forget the title of it, but there's this question about where is God? Where is God? And the catechism says, and the book responds, God is everywhere. It's like, well, if God is everywhere, then maybe God is nowhere. Like, where, where is God? It's a very abstract concept, and it makes it really hard for us to grasp and embrace that God is not limited by time or space, that God can be as present to you as you are to yourself right now, that in the way your consciousness is sort of conscious to your body, you don't know where your consciousness is, but it's here. God, that's the way God inhabits his world. God is not out there, but he dwells in and through and among the world, the physical things. He's not confined to this space or that space. We don't need to come here to meet with him. He walks with us. He's accessible to us. And I'm not sure we fully grasp this. I think our scientific world has made it difficult for us to believe and embrace that God is very present to us and accessible for us right now. And that tunnel vision about where God might be at any given time. The Where's Waldo thing. We're trying to find him. He's like, he's right here. It's accessible to you in your personhood as a human because he made you that way. Do you realize that? Do you wake up in the morning and think, God is present with me right now? What does that mean for me? God transcends our religious practices. He also transcends our physical space. Thirdly, he transcends our personal interests. Listen to this. When Zechariah saw the angel, verse 12, he was terrified and overcome with fear. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah, because your prayer has been heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you will name him John. There's something missed in this, the telling of this story because we're always focused on John the Baptist and all of his work. But this promise of a son is in response to a very personal prayer by Zechariah and Elizabeth. We know the prayer for conception is a painful one for many people. And you can imagine that Zechariah and Elizabeth have been praying for many, many years about this thing. And they've given up. They've given up. And God meets them in this moment to grant them the thing that they've prayed for. There's an immense grace in that. But that's not where the prophecy stops. Right? The angel responds, Do not be afraid, Zechariah, because your prayer has been heard. Your wife will bear a son and name him John. And then he continues, There will be joy and delight for you. I can't turn my page. Many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great in the sight of the Lord. 
He'll be filled with the Holy Spirit while still in his mother's womb. He will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God, and he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the disobedient to the understanding of the righteous to make ready for the Lord a prepared people. This prophecy is cosmic and national. This is a huge earth-shattering, earth-shaking thing that's happening. And Zechariah hears all of the prophecy, and he goes, I'm just too old. I'm too old to have a son. It's almost like he heard the part about his own prayer being answered, and then he stopped listening. My kids do this all the time. They're like, hey, can I have this? And I'm like, yes, but, and they don't hear anything else I say after the but. Right? They just, they heard what they wanted to hear, and then they stopped listening. And I think Zechariah is, is listening to this, and he's, he's only hearing the part pertaining to his own self. He's not understanding that what is being told him is, a, is this not only a grace for him, but is this cosmic thing that God is doing in the world. This is not just an answer of Zechariah's prayer. It's the answer of prayers of people all across the world. And I wonder how often we miss what God is doing because we're only caring about how it pertains to us. That God is answering prayers, and we're like, what? Does that have anything to do with me? Okay, no, I don't want to listen to that. And I think there's such a narrow focus. There's a tunnel vision we have on, what have you done for me lately? And Zechariah goes on to, to receive the whole thing. But in this moment, it seems to me like he's stuck. He's stuck on the part that's about him. And God does care very much about his, his needs and the needs of Elizabeth, God cares about your needs and about my needs, but as we walk through the scripture and we see God's interacting with people, so often his answers to people's needs are meeting their needs so that those needs can be met in the world as well. That what God is doing is well beyond what we are doing. And when we talk about and look for our experience of God strictly based on what it can give for us, I think we're very much in danger of missing out altogether on God's presence. And so is it possible that God's presence might be hard for you to spot sometimes because you're only looking for how it concerns you? You're, you're missing the scope of God's grace in the world, his redemptive plan that far transcends. It includes you and your needs, your person, your humanity, but it's about the, all that God is doing in the world. God transcends our religious practice, our physical limitations, our personal interests. And then maybe the most obvious one in this text, he transcends our logical objections. Right? In verse 18, Zechariah says, Gabriel's like, hey, you're going to have a baby. He's like, how can I know this? I am old. I'm old. Sorry, Gabriel. You must have forgotten. I'm old. And Mike pointed this out, and just, I just love the way of saying, thinking about it like this, uh, just like you do with your kids. It's like, hi, old, I'm Gabriel. Do you know this? I stand in the presence of God. Okay, don't tell me about how old you are. I stand in the presence of God, and I have been sent to you to tell you this good news. And how often do we miss what God is doing because we just can't get our minds around it? Like, that can't be possible. It's just not possible for God to work like that. It's not possible for him to do that. It's not possible for him to fix that. And God's like, I'm, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God. I just love the way that this, we, we think, 
we so often think that things can only be true if they make sense to us. This doesn't make sense at all to Zechariah. He has a lot of logical, rational objections to what God is about to do. We have tunnel vision. Our logic, our minds, we, we can't get our minds around the who, what, where, when, why, how of God, what God is doing in the world, and so we just kind of tune out sometimes. And we miss. We miss it because we fail to come with an openness that God is, with, a, with God all things are possible. That there's this transcendent power at work. And I wonder for myself, do I miss what God is doing because I'm, I'm not willing to consider things that seem irrational or impossible? I mean, I pride myself on being a rational person, a reasonable person. I'm a thinker type care much about understanding the world, and I think there's many times that I have not and am not open to God's presence because I can't understand what's going on. I think that's true of Zechariah for a moment here. And there's a final one I want to point out. Religious practice, transcending our physical, spatial limitations, transcending our personal interests, transcending our logical objections, but Finally, I think God absolutely transcends. His presence fully transcends our human frailty. Look at this, this little, little tag at the end. It's actually the climax of the story, I think, 24 and 25. After these days, his wife Elizabeth conceived and kept herself in seclusion for five months, and she said, the Lord has done this for me. He has looked with favor in these days to take away my disgrace among the people. There's just this open-handed posture that she has of, wow, look at what God has done. He's moved into my frailty, into my disgrace, into what I couldn't do for myself. And she has this posture of reflection and receiving, a willingness to experience what God is doing, even though I'm sure it makes no sense to her. There's a humility and an awe, and this kind of begins Luke's consistent focus for the rest of this, for the rest of his book on, on women receiving the, the power and the presence of God in ways that many of the disciples and the other men in this story are not able to. Something we'll continue to see, see it a lot next week in the story of Mary responding very differently than Zechariah to the prophecy. But God's Presence transcends our fr fragility, our frailty, and our disgrace. God is not a mere human being. We are frail and disgraced and broken. We focus on what's wrong so often, wrong with ourselves, wrong with other people, wrong with the system, wrong with the world, wrong with our church, wrong with the country. There's a lot of things wrong. And we're dragged down so often by the enormous weight of this disgrace and the brokenness that we feel. And the invitation is to believe that God's presence moves into your fragility, your brokenness, and he can heal it if we're willing to receive that against all of these other objections and tunnel vision that we have. Will you believe that God is doing that, that he wants to do that for you, that he wants you to open up and allow him to enter with his mercy and his grace Are you open to the possibility of divine intervention in your life? 
Are you open to God's transforming work? I'm going to just conclude by drawing, I think it's a side point in this story, but I think it fits so perfectly with what we're talking about. In verse 21, the people, right, we, we were introduced to this minor character at the beginning of the story. The people, they're outside, they're praying, they're doing their thing, they're doing what they're supposed to do. You know, they're used to, they're used to showing up, praying, going home. That's the normal course of events here. Priest goes in, offers the incense, come out, go home. Everything's normal. Meanwhile, verse 21, the people were waiting for Zechariah, amazed that he stayed so long in the sanctuary. The people, too, they're like, wait, did he go in there to meet with God? No way. He's got to come back out so we can go to lunch. They're amazed. They're like, what is go They're in wonder. They're curious. They're in awe. It's so uncommon in our world. Awe and wonder. We reduce things to what we can understand. You know, awe and wonder, they're simply coming to grips with bigness, with something that exists outside of yourself that's bigger and more transcendent. That's what awe is, the posture of humility. And then Zechariah comes out. When he did come out, he could not speak to them. Then they realized that he had seen a vision in the sanctuary. If you remember from last week, Luke 1, verse 4. Why did Luke write his gospel? So that you might realize the presence of God. It's the same word. They realized the presence of God. And there's this little thing going on here that, again, is a minor point in the story, so I don't want to put too much weight on it, but I think it's interesting to point out that amazement leads to realization. Amazement and awe and wonder precede realization. One of my favorite authors says, what we cannot comprehend by analysis, we become aware of in awe. Write that down. Do it now. What we cannot comprehend by analysis, we become aware of, we realize, we recognize in awe. Are you willing to be in awe? Are you willing to, to wonder, to allow your tunnel visions to be shattered by a God that's way bigger and better than you can even imagine? Will you let your horizons be expanded by the wonder of God's merciful presence and then come to realize and recognize it in your life? Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for this story of Zechariah the way that it challenges our notions of what you are doing and where you are located and how you relate. I pray for each of us that our mind and our hearts would be opened. That you would unblock our ears to hear you, that you would open our eyes to see you, that we would come to this moment now, that we would wake up each morning expecting that your presence is, am is among us, is with us, is nearer to us than we might imagine. 
and that in wonder and awe and amazement, we might come to realize your presence in a moment-by-moment basis in our lives. We pray this in the name of Christ. Amen.